Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Turn with me to 1 Timothy, and we're going to be in chapter 4 for a few minutes this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4. How many of y'all are just glad that we're done with the series, the sermon series? Thank you. I don't think so. I specifically chose the shortest month to do that. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I didn't. Um, I didn't plan on doing that. But you know what? Um, I think the Lord really did a lot through that. And what was really cool is I was hearing from people, because I'm kind of like, I'm this guy. Can I just be really vulnerable with you for two minutes? Real transparent, as opposed to my normal, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't like the idea of a series. I know you all have heard me harp on series all this time. There's nothing wrong with them. I just feel like if, we, if we're not at full disposal of heaven every time we gather, if we've got an agenda, if we've got a plan, if I've got a something, well, I know I'm preaching on this this Sunday, then it's a little, like, it's just that much less flexibility sometimes that we have before the Lord. And so um, I want to try to protect our church from that. I want to protect you from that. I want to protect me from that. And um, so that's why I've been, you know, I don't like to plan out the whole year. I like the Father to plan out the whole year and then us to go along for the ride. You with me? Over there, I see you with that updo, girl. Um, listen, what was so cool about this, what was so cool about this series that just finished is that I'm having conversations with people in real time that the series is actually going along with their life. And they're in the King's Academy, and, and the fit has hit the shan, and it's just all falling apart. The wheels fall off in their life. And they're like right along for the ride. They're like in the, the, the lesson of the King's Academy in the moment. And I'm like, man, God, you are so good to walk us through this, even though it's a series that it's still applicable. So anyway, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, because we're coming out of so much order and structure of a series, today is going to feel a little um, like, like a smattering like a sampler platter, okay? Anybody get the sampler platter because you just can't decide what to get? Be honest. I feel like sometimes there's passages where it's like the Apostle Paul or really the Holy Spirit by divine inspiration wants to say a whole bunch of different things. And over centuries and millennia, like these things play out in different ways. They mean different things at different times over the courses of culture and history and, and religion and everything else. Um, but this letter to this young pastor, Timothy, and a church uh, in a place called Ephesus, um, it's written by, it's written by uh, Paul, to, who we'll say is a spiritual son. He refers to him this way. He writes to him this way. And it's someone that the Apostle Paul is kind of raising up to shepherd and to lead and to operate in his gifts. Um, but these early towns and these early churches were susceptible to a lot of the same stuff that we're susceptible to today. You would think that over, you know, generations and hundreds of years and thousands of years that you'd think that we would have learned some things. But, but uh, the enemy keeps reinventing stuff, and we're, like, surprised again. We're like, oh, look at this shiny new thing. And it's like, no, that's the same old stuff. Uh, but let's jump in here in chapter 4. He writes to him, he says this, but the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, explicitly says, I love that. Anything that the Holy Spirit explicitly says has my attention. 
says that in later times, so we can just call this later times because it's later than when this was written, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Verse 2, by means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Let's stop right there and talk about this for a few minutes. We're going to move through this chapter a little bit further, but for right now, let's just talk about uh, this overarching theme here of faith, faith versus deception. Faith versus deception. In later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention. I love that, right? Not falling to, not, not, you know, being kidnapped by, but paying attention. It's just a really bizarre word choice here. To deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. I think it's really easy as believers to resign the topic of faith to what we believe in, right? In fact, by definition, you know, we're, we're thinking, well, this is what we believe in, or this is the religion we practice, or this is our Christianity, this is faith. But I want to challenge and maybe stretch that a little bit and say faith is not just what you believe in, it's what you pay attention to. If you're writing things down, faith is not just what you believe in. It's what you pay attention to. Saints, anything that competes with faith for your attention is either actively or passively on a mission to desensitize you to the things of God. How do you know? Well, because the next verse is by the hypocrisy of liars who having been in their own conscience, seared as with a hot iron. I want to break this down for a few minutes, and it's going to feel like we're kind of going deep on some wordy stuff. But that, that word right there, branding iron, that's seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. That word seared, it's interesting because it's packed, okay? It's, it's, uh, that word in the Greek, it means two things. It means to brand, okay? And I don't have to go too far with that because we ought not be branded by anything but the Holy Spirit. Okay? Is that all right? <laughs> but the other word it means is to cauterize. To cauterize. And for all intents and purposes, cauterization is a good thing when you're bleeding out. Cauterization is a good thing. The scarring of tissue as a means of avoiding like certain death or blood loss or whatever else, you know, infection, whatever it is. Uh, cauterization is not by itself a bad thing. The problem is, is that anything that's cauterized is also desensitized. Doctrine will just uh, comes from a word. It just we'll just say teaching. Dogmatic teaching, teaching that's intended to, you know, not just teach you one plus one equals two, but intended to teach you, show you worldviews and philosophies and identity, that kind of teaching. We'll say doctrine. Um, 
it's interesting because it preys upon us. I love the King James of this. Instead of deceiving spirits, can you go back to verse 2 for one second? I think it's verse 2. Um, go back to verse 2. Yeah, here we go. No, verse 1. We'll fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits. I love the King James. It says seducing spirits right there. Seducing spirits. You see, the thing about seduction is that it, it works with what your desires are. You're not seduced by something maybe that somebody else is seduced by because that's not what you like. That's not what attracts you. That's not what you're into. That's not what captures your attention. So seducing spirits, yes, they are de deceitful spirits, but the only way they deceive us is by luring us into something that works with our belief system, that works with our, our way of life. Now, when you marry that to religion, I remember um, Dave Andre. Dave, are you in the house this morning? I see you over there. Dave, you remember you preached a word, I think it was back on the corner of Warren and Broadway, and you talked about how religion works like a vaccine and how we get just enough of the truth to immunize us against the fullness of it. And so we get enough that we feel like we feel it in our system for a couple of days. But at the end of the day, the whole point is that so it's so our flesh can build up a tolerance to what real faith is all about. That was a great message. Y'all missed it. There was like 70 people in the building. And the church was only 60, so that was a big Sunday that came out. A lot of people used to come out for Dave's messages. But I, uh, I think that it's important for us to get this because we read things like deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, and we're like, I'll never fall for that. <laughs> right? But saints, the word says that Satan comes as an angel of light. He comes, he comes in a in a in a, a seducing manner that preys upon the things that we think are needed or desired. Now, when you get saved, and let's say you start hanging around with church people, and your desires start to shift a little bit, you're like, "Well, I, now I don't want to look like that. Now I want to want to look like this." Now I don't want to sound like that. I want to sound like this. Now I don't want to be seen doing that. I want to be seen doing this. Well, all the desires are still there. They're just different now. So the enemy has just as much of a playground sending seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. I wish we had time just to get into what these are. And maybe that'll be for the breakdown. Maybe Pastor Kurt and Luke can do the heavy lifting on this. Um, I love the breakdown. You guys are, and Dave LeBeau, you guys that are manhandling the breakdown, thank you guys. It's so good, and it alleviates me so much. It's like a janitorial service for the, uh, for the pulpit ministry here. It's, it's incredible. Clean up, clean up on altar five. Seducing spirits and bad doctrine, I'm going to say it again, cauterizes something in us. It meets an immediate need, solves an immediate problem, but it robs us of the sensitivity required to grow and avoid it in the future ourselves. So what does it look like? It looks like this. It looks like associating sin with people, with places, with things that in and of themselves are not sinful or bad, 
but they're associated. And so the, the, the seduction in us is, I've got to separate myself from that. We know that in our logic, in our flesh, we understand that this is something that I can't be seen with anymore, that I can't be a part of anymore. And so instead of separating ourselves from the sin, we separate ourselves from the things we've associated with it. This was the religious problem 2,000 years ago. This is why the Pharisees had such an issue with Jesus, because he refused to separate himself from the people and places that had been associated with sin, and instead, he just separated himself from the sin. It's tough, but you know why it worked for him? Because he was so sensitive to the things of heaven. He was so sensitive. There was nothing in him that had been seared or cauterized by doctrine of this world. And saints, I think it's so important. And again, you know, um, I got an email this week that reminded me of one of the verses that this church was founded on. It was sort of like one of those subtle footnote things, but in the first few pages of our history. And it was in Jeremiah when the prophet says that the Lord has to tear down and root out before he builds again. And the poetic cadence of that passage is that it reveals this um, sort of formula that it's twice as much work to get rid of the old stuff as it is to build the new stuff. And anybody that's ever built anything new, you know that you have to, you have to uh, clear land, you have to prep the land, you've got to do all this stuff just to get a place ready to build before you can even lay the first stone on top of the other one. There's so much work that goes into this. And the bigger the structure was on that thing, I, my first job when I moved to New England was for the coffee depot in Warren. Anybody been down there? Any, anybody at the coffee depot? All right. You, do you work there? Oh, okay. Ah. But you know it. You're like, yeah, coffee, rock and roll. My first job, it was for this man named Ed. I think he still owns the place. He is, I mean, he took it very seriously, as any business owner should. Um, and I remember him asking me, he's like, I said, I have experience in coffee shops. I worked in coffee. He's like, you didn't work at Starbucks, did you? And I was like, no, I didn't work at Starbucks. And uh, with like this deep concern in his eyes, he's like, because if you worked at Starbucks, I'm not even going to hire you because I have to unteach you so much stuff. And I was like, no, you don't have to unteach me anything. Uh, I will selectively go back and just unlearn myself whatever I need to unlearn to make sure that milk is steamed the way you want it steamed, Ed. And, uh, but I thought it was interesting that part of his hiring process was uh, considering of what he had to unlearn, what he had to unteach people, what he had to deconstruct in order to build up his way of doing things. And as unlike God as Ed was, <laughs> there's that principle that I saw in him that I thought, wait a minute. So when we've been through a school that teaches us how to mix drinks or make coffee or steam milk or pull espresso shots a certain way, we've sort of been cauterized. We've sort of been desensitized to any other way of doing it. And we kind of turn our nose up at it and we say, meh, that's wrong. We've associated wrong with a way instead of a thing. And Jesus teaches us something else. Jesus shows us 
that part of his process and part of his mandate, part of his assignment on the earth was not just to redeem man, but to redeem the earth itself. Watch this. By means of hypocrisy, look at verse 3, verse 4, jump down with me. For everything created by God is good. Everything created by God is good. And let me just say, that's everything. Satan cannot create. He was not created with the ability to create. Okay? Satan cannot create. No matter what you've been taught, no matter what you believed, he cannot create. He can disrupt. He can distract. He can corrupt. He can pervert. He cannot create. Everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Isn't that an interesting key? Verse 5, and this is what I really want you to pay attention to here. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. These seducing spirits and the bad doctrine, we know that it was teaching things we see throughout the, the, the New Testament um, that a lot, a lot of work that the apostles were doing where they were having to unpack old uh, Judaic law that no longer served a purpose because Jesus came and finished what it started. And so we see things like circumcision revisited. We see things like what you can eat and what you can't eat revisited. We see, we see things like who is and who isn't eligible to receive salvation, things that serious, revisited and said, wait a minute, okay, there was a beginning, but it wasn't the end. We've got to get to the end here. We've got to get to this dispensation of grace where we understand that a lot of this stuff does not bear the significance that it once did. Everything, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, verse 5, for it is sanctified. We talk about sanctification here, but never in regards to things, only in regards to people. And so I want to make sure that we get this. People are sanctified differently than things are. Quick flash pop quiz, okay? How are people sanctified? Close. Holy Spirit. Anybody? Oh, there it is. I knew you all had this. Man, I thought this was a Pentecostal church. Holy Spirit should be our go-to answer, guys, always. You know how you have that? God, the world, love. Ours is Holy Spirit. We're sanctified by the Holy Spirit because when we accept Jesus into our heart, I know I say this a lot, but we're just going to keep saying it because there's some new people every week in this church. When we accept Jesus into our heart and we become born again, when we accept the truth of the gospel and the truth of the cross, it's not Jesus who comes to live in us. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. What comes to live in us is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And when that Spirit enters our lives, I hope, is anybody in here in the soul study? Anybody watching the soul study? A couple of people. It's mostly the 11 o'clock service, I see. Um, we, we do go over some of this stuff in it. But with the Holy Spirit in our lives, we start to feel this terrible, wonderful thing called conviction. And it starts to course correct 
That is the process of sanctification. Our life, our, our, our conduct begins to reflect our condition, and our life starts to change. So sanctification of people happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. But things are sanctified differently. Things are sanctified right here. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Wait a minute. So things that have been corrupted or perverted or, or disrupted or distracted or written off to hell. Yeah, those things. The things that you've associated with sin but are not sin themselves. Those things. You see, he wants it all back. The Father wants it all back. I remember hearing people, like, back when uh, we, we first started seeing the gay flags come out, and, of course, what's chosen for the gay flag? A rainbow. Is that ironic? Is that coincidental? Or is it because the rainbow was given as a sign from God? A promise from the Lord. He wants it back. Listen, wouldn't, wouldn't, it just, wouldn't it just cause hell a problem if every time we saw that rainbow, if our hearts were drawn back to what it was really for? That he loves us so much that we are the do-over. We are the do-over. We're the second shot at the world. I feel like a little bit more hope in that. And, I, and my prayer is that we stop just seeing things and our mind just registering them, archiving them categorically with the things of the world or the things of Satan. Everything, thing, not person, everything, it says, can be sanctified through the word of God and prayer. What does that mean? We have to be in the word enough to know how to apply it. We have to know this word well enough to be able to Bring it into the situation. Enter it into the equation. What does the word of God say about this? Does the word of God say this belongs to Satan? Does the word of God say this food? Does the word of God say this kind of thing? Whatever it is. For too long, things have been registered in hell. It's like squatter's rights or something. Well... He's had the monopoly on sex all this time, so we can't really talk about it in the church. That's not God's heart. Nobody's like saying amen to that, because y'all are like, oh my God, he just said sex from the pulpit. You know why you thought that? Because for too long, the devil's had his name on it. For too long. That's got to stop now, okay? The word of God and prayer. The word of God and prayer. If we're walking, see, we're walking in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, as we walk, is sanctifying us. But then, because he's in us doing it, now we have the ability to analyze and, and uh, critically uh, observe the world around us regarding how it can all be reclaimed for the glory of God. Regarding how he can have it back. Okay, I think we got everything we needed to do there. 
Uh, yep. I think about this bad doctrine, seducing spirits and the doctrine of demons. And it's a touchy subject in the church because of how, um, how we attach certain fruitfulness or productivity or usefulness or efficiency to certain practices. Because in the same way, okay, and this is where it gets confusing a little bit, but in the same way that the enemy puts his name on stuff that doesn't belong to him, we put God's name on stuff that God has no part of. This is where, I'm telling you, it's tricky. Put your seatbelt on for just a minute. I'm not going to go any faster, but it'll make you feel safer. <laughs> Most accidents occur within two miles of your house. I only know that because I had to take a defensive driving course to get my license back in the state of Virginia. And I still don't have it back. Let's talk about this for a second. Seducing spirits. Any desire that's met in us, it, um, it, it solves an immediate problem. Uh, there's an immediate hunger or thirst that's quenched. And you know this because anybody in here that's ever sinned, you know that while there may be a shame cycle on the backside of that, there may be, a, oh, I'm guilty, I shouldn't have said, feeling guilty, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have responded, I shouldn't have reacted, whatever it is. There's a certain release that comes with that initial act or that initial um, outburst or act out. Well, one doctrine that is literally demonic is this idea that if I can act out on this thing, I'll get it out of my system. I probably preached on this before, but I'm not done. I just, you know, I preached on it before. I'm going to say it again. There's this false doctrine. There's this literal doctrine of demons. You want to read that in verse 1? What's a doctrine of demon? Of demons? It's, it's something that teaches us that by satisfying some demonic urge in us, we can gain some ground with heaven. I, I've heard it said like this. Well, you know, if you, have, if you have anger in you, you just need to find some way to let it out. You need to go out in the woods and just beat something. You need to go somewhere where people can't hear you or where you're in a safe place, and you need to be able to, like, scream swear words at the top of your lungs. You need to be able to take a baseball bat and just go to town on a tree, a poor, helpless, innocent tree. You need a safe place where you can do this and you won't be judged, where people will accept that as an acceptable uh, means of of letting out what's been in you for too long. Well, I want to just give you this news flash. That lets nothing out. All it does is feed the beast. Okay? Well, Zach, then why does it feel so good? Because it feeds something that's been hungry and, and rattling around in a cage for a long time in the same way that your dog shuts up when you feed it. That's exactly what it is. And so what we do is we, there, there's not we, I don't, you won't hear it from this platform, but as believers, we find ways to shut hell up for five minutes and then we think we've won. When really, the, the good teaching 
of the word of God and prayer, what that does is it eradicates hell from our lives instead of just feeding it a meal so it leaves you alone for five minutes. Y'all don't like this. That's a doctrine of demons. And I want to just challenge you with this question. If Jesus was there, if Je we believe he is there, but if you can imagine Christ, do you see him or don't you see him encouraging that? Does that seem like the thing that Jesus would do? Is that how Jesus does? Listen, when he was in the wilderness, how did he interact with Satan? The word of God. He applied the word of God. When, when we have something, uh, some, some demonic foothold in our lives, whatever it is, maybe it's depression, maybe, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's fear. And, and we found out, okay, if I can just let this thing manifest in this safe place where I know I'm okay, and it's in this controlled environment, if I just let it go to town, and then I get it out of my system. Anybody ever struggle with lust? No hands. No hands. I'll put them both up. Thank you back there. That's, this, is one, this, is one of those, this is one of those ones that's like, I just got to get this out of my system. If I just get this out of my system, I'll be fine. Anybody who's ever tried that, you know it doesn't work. It doesn't get it out of your system. It builds up a greater tolerance. You're strengthening the very thing that you should have been starving to death. And it shuts up for a minute. And you're like, okay, I'll never do that again. Never again. Never again. Never again. But you didn't get it out. You just made it stronger. Guys, we have to be smarter than this. Everything is sanctified through the word of God and prayer, and we're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You are not made better. You are not made more like God by manifesting the demonic stuff in your life. That is bad teaching. There's a lot of these. I probably, I just can't go through them all. But my prayer, in fact, let's just stop. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just show us things that you need to deconstruct in us. God, we just pray that you just come in like a wrecking ball, Lord, that you would just do a foul swoop and just tear it down. We don't need it. We don't need it carefully dismantled, Lord. We just want it eradicated from our life. God, help us to walk in that way of sanctification, Lord, not just what's happening inside of us, but God, what's happening around us. How, how we can engage in the sanctification of this world through your word and, and through prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, before I let you go, I want to read a couple more verses here. Verse 6 says this, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Ooh, that's a roast, ain't it? Maybe it should have said old wives' tales or something there. I don't know. The NLT said old wives' tales? Does it really? Yeah. Wow. 
Okay. That's the one thing they got right. Everybody deserves something. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, listen to this. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. Since it holds promise for the present things, since it, I'm sorry, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. So bodily discipline versus godliness. It's kind of like the, the faith thing versus the doctrines of demons. Bodily discipline versus godliness. We're in this season right now called Lent. And if you've been Catholic or have come from a Reformed background, um, you may understand this a little bit more than people who are just seeing it on Instagram posts and stuff like that. Um, but a big thrust of Lent is what are we giving up to prepare for Easter, for Holy Week, for resurrection of Jesus. And so to celebrate that. Um, but unfortunately, and this was a problem in the New Testament church. It's a problem today. We have equated, we have equated um, how we discipline our body with godliness. And I want to just go after this for a minute because I'm going to say something that might, like, disrupt some things. But it's this. Abstaining doesn't please God. Don't get me wrong, but please understand the heart of the Father in this passage. Abstaining from things, things that may have been associated with something or may not have, abstaining from things doesn't please God. It's for us. It's for us. Now, there are times when we are called to fast in Scripture. There are times um, when there are, there are spiritual objectives that can only be accomplished through fasting. We read this in the New Testament. But it's not so that God finally will rise to the attention and get something done because now we're fasting. It's so we're at a place where we need to be. There's a huge difference here that we've got to get right because we, we've determined that we can please God by what we give up. And that is not the truth. Abstaining is for us. It's a statement about us. And unfortunately, it's often a statement about us that's an incorrect statement about God. Well, if I give this up, if I go without this, if I, if I don't have this, then I'm going to be you know, better off spiritually you might be worse because you just drew a line. You remember the old worksheets and you say, draw lines between things that are connected, you know? We just drew a line from bodily discipline to, to godliness. And while bodily discipline may have its place, this is coming from a guy who works out every day, okay? You're going to laugh out loud like that. Wow, like right out loud. Like almost like mocking the Holy Spirit loud. I'm just kidding. I'm totally messing with you. But there's a big difference here, and we've got to, we, we, I think we've just decided that 
however much we can stand to go without, that we will go without it in the name of God. We will, we will uh, intentionally remove things from our lives if we think that it's going to get us in better favor somehow, some way. And the heart of the Father is, it paints this different picture. Godliness. Godliness, the, 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 the attribute of being like God. Godliness, the, the uh, presentation of ourselves, of a life, of a sacrifice that is like God. What does God go without? Aside from Satan himself and sin that cannot be in his presence, what is it that we think God has to go without in order to remain holy? He is in the sanctification business. Bring it all back. The word of God and prayer. It reintroduces us to the world in a different light, in a new way. One where we can start to see things instead of saying, oh, I can't do that. I can't be a part of that anymore. Now, when I walk past them, I'll pray. I remember growing up, I grew up in a home where things of the occult were like um, the absolute, like, you know, we weren't allowed to have like the eight ball. Remember the eight ball? You'd shake it up and it would tell you like, you know, try again later. <laughs> you know? Y'all shouldn't have the eight ball. I'm just kidding. No, so we grew up like anything that even like smelled like the occult. You know, my mom was like, no, we went to this uber Pentecostal church and you didn't touch any of this stuff. And it was so good. And so because of that, I never once sinned. That's not true. But I will say this. I will say this. I grew up believing that, you know, anytime I saw Sister Cleo on TV or, you know, one of these commercials, call and have your fortune read or anything like that, I had like the heebie-jeebies. And I was like, oh, God. So I moved to New England. Some of y'all have heard this story. I think I shared this story when the church was like 120 people. But I moved to New England. And uh, it's just nice that I have time to share a story. I love this. We should end worship sooner, more often. I'm just kidding. So, uh, so I moved to New England, and I'm going to uh, Zion Bible College in Barrington. And I, we, we go out to Thayer Street for, you know, coffee or crepes or whatever. And we're walking, and I see this sandwich board on the side, and it says um, there's like a medium who will do uh, palm, palm reading and fortune telling or whatever. And I had a different feeling than I'd ever had before when I saw that. And it wasn't um, the like, oh, I got to be right, you know? <laughs> like, everybody turn around. We're going in a different direction. <laughs> it wasn't that. It was kind of like an attraction. Not like an attraction, like I need to go have my palm read, but an attraction like I started to sense the Father's heart, like that woman in there that's doing that, I want her back. And I was like, but she's a fortune teller. <laughs> I want her back. So that happened a couple times. We'd go to Thayer Street, we'd walk up and down, whatever, and I'd see that sandwich board, and I'm like, doggone it, I'm going to have to go in there. And so finally I went in. I sat down with this woman. I paid her $20 for her to sit there and listen to me tell her what her future was going to be. 
Because these things, these things that we have resigned off, you want to hear something crazy? I started to ask her about her life, and she starts telling me, oh, we go back, my mom, my grandma, my great-grandmother, we believe that it was God that gave us this gift and that we can only do this for him. And I'm like, wait a minute. We've got to figure some stuff out here, guys. Church, there, there is some fruit that is hanging ripe on the vine, and we are avoiding it at all costs because somebody somewhere told us that we can't go in that part of the vineyard. I believe that God wants it all back. And now is the time for such a time as this, for this, for this, for this is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Do you think Jesus is afraid to walk into a bar and talk to somebody about who he is and what the cross is? Do you think that, and, I, and I, listen, don't misunderstand me here. I understand that some of us are in different places. And if you know yourself and you can't trust yourself in a certain environment because the Holy Spirit hasn't done enough work in you yet to be able to go there, then by all means, like, exercise a little wisdom and don't do it. I'm not saying go, go run down the black hole that you just came out of. I'm saying don't be afraid of that black hole anymore. And understand that the work of the Lord in you, when we can get away from the, the seducing spirits that say, well, if I just stay away from brothels, I'll be fine. If I can just write off all of this group of people, or all of these relationships. For some of you, you've been through a couple of bad marriages and a couple of lousy divorces. Haven't seen a good one yet, but you know what I mean. You've been through a lot of those things, and so in an effort to stop the bleeding, you've cauterized the wound and desensitized yourself to what the covenant of marriage was really supposed to be about. And now you're missing a whole beautiful, wonderful part of the heart of the Father for us in a way that we represent and reflect His image in a greater fullness of His counsel and His image through marriage because we've associated it now with bad, with hell, with sin, with whatever. God wants it back. God wants it back. Let's stand to our feet, saints. Bodily discipline is only of little profit. I just keep saying that. I just keep saying that with another donut. Bodily discipline is of little profit. Shut up, boss. I knew that was in here somewhere. Thank you, Lord. But godliness is profitable for all things. If, I, if I'm really exhibiting, if I'm really exhibiting the attributes of God, if I'm really coming into alignment in greater capacity with his image, what is there left to be afraid of? He's not afraid to die. He's not afraid of the past. He's not afraid of sin. He's not afraid of brokenness. He had to turn his back one time, one time. He had to turn his back. And it was when Jesus turned the tables on hell. The one man that didn't deserve any of it took all of it. 
the father had to turn his face away. But since that moment and because of that moment, now we carry that same power and authority, the power and authority that Jesus had coming out of the grave. That same power and authority applying the word of God and prayer sanctifying all things, bringing them back, being a part of this process by which it's restored to him. I believe that we're living in a time when it's easier than ever to give way to these seducing spirits. I think we've got to think bigger than we ever have in terms of how those things are wreaking havoc in our lives. I think we've got to be prepared to allow really hard questions to be asked of ourselves. We've got to be prepared to receive correction from people who love us and from people who don't know us from Adam, but who put a finger up and say, eh, are you sure that's the Lord? Are you sure that's really? Okay, so you're going to do this and you're not going to do that. Who told you that? Was that the Holy Spirit? That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear when I'm eavesdropping on all your conversations. That's what I want to fly on the wall of our rooms. That's what I want. I want us challenging each other on, now, I don't care about your bodily discipline. I care about your godliness. Are you afraid of something that God's not afraid of? Are you concerned about something God's not concerned about? Are you rejecting something that the Lord said to sanctify and bring it back? Guys, that is the assignment on the people of God. That is a trustworthy statement. So Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your grace with us. We thank you that, uh, Lord, so often throughout our lives, we've, we've opted for the turn and run game. Um, Lord, when really, Father, everything you created, you created it to be beautiful in its time. And so, Lord, I pray like the sons of Issachar that we would know the time, that we would understand what's going on in heavenly seasons and in the spiritual realm, and that we would um, assign ourselves accordingly, Lord, to the things that you introduce to us, God, even to the things that the enemy introduces to us in the hopes that it would cause us to stumble. I thank you that in those moments, Christ himself gave us the strategy to apply the word of God. Lord, I pray that we would take on a prayer life unlike anything we've ever experienced, that we would take on a, a passion for your word unlike anything New England has ever experienced. I pray, God, that the stirring that takes place would make, would make the, the first great awakening look like Sunday school, God. I pray, Lord, that a revival would sweep this nation, God, Jesus and that name. wells would be opened up underneath New England, God, and that we wouldn't settle for the length of the rope that we've been dipping all this time, but, God, that we would go deeper than we've ever been. Lord, that we would pull up something fresh, something new, something that would not just 
quench the thirst the way these seductive spirits do, but God, that it would quench our spirit. Lord, that it would that it would meet the hunger and the thirst for righteousness, God, for godliness, because it is this godliness that is a trustworthy statement to this world about who you are. Father, forgive us when we thought that we could make a better, uh, that we, we could paint a bigger picture of who you are by how much we give, by how much seed we sow, by, by how many promises we make, or by, uh, by what we get out of our lives, or sacrifice this, or or discipline ourselves from that. Father, I pray that instead we would put on godliness and that it would be this godliness that would make the true and eternal and trustworthy statement to this world about who you really are. We love you and we give you all the glory and the honor in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Y'all have the best day of your lives. We'll see you next week. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys, God bless you, and have the best day of your life.